Every student is unique. Every student learns differently. And every student matters. This is Idea Exchange, the future of K-12 education series, brought to you by Macmillan Paston Smith Architecture. Today we're doing something a little different. In previous episodes, we've explored the multifaceted aspects of the educational landscape, from policy to teaching methods to mental health. But today is interesting. Today, I'm interviewing a colleague. Minta Ferguson is the Director of Planning at Macmillan Pasden Smith Advisors, a segment of the business that creates customized, data-driven facility plans to guide construction and renovation projects. As an experienced facility planner with a demonstrated history of working in education and in healthcare industries, Minta is mission-driven. She creates the best environments for people planned strategically using data with design excellence, financial considerations, and the efficient operations to provide value to their inhabitants and the organizations. She received her Bachelor's of Architecture from Virginia Tech, and after years of working as a project manager, facility planner, and director of planning at other nationally known firms, Minta joined McMillan Passant Smith one year ago, working out of our Charlotte office. Minta and I also share one more thing in common beyond architecture. She is the host of our Ideas Shaping Healthcare, a podcast that was launched in the fall of last year. Minta, thank you for joining us. Glad to be here. Thanks. Well, to kick us off, let's start with some fundamental questions. What and why? What are you doing as an advisor for services at McMillan Peasant Smith Advisors from that standpoint, and why is it so important? So I think there's a couple answers here, but the first thing we're doing is we're, we're really supporting our clients. We're a third-party resource to justify their capital needs, facility needs, and resources. Um, so a lot of them may have people like me in-house, and they may do the same things I do, but sometimes it helps to have that extra outside, uh, fresh perspective to help justify it and get consensus and move projects forward. The second is I think we're providing a holistic and integrated plan for them. It's, it's strategic. So we're weaving in market needs. So that's supply and demand of whatever it is that we're studying, whether it's classrooms in schools or beds in, in healthcare facilities. Um, we have to take into consideration industry policy, regulation, trends. Uh, what are the projections that we're looking for? You know, how are things going to grow or decline? There's, there's the organizational uh, strategic goals. So what is it that they want to accomplish in the next, you know, five or 10 years? There's operations that weave into it. So we know the term form follows function pretty widely in architecture, but it's true. The facilities should respond to the operations and, and those practices. And then there's facility condition, which we do a lot of facility condition assessments and we work with engineers on those too, but that's looking at the infrastructure of facilities. So the mechanical, electrical, plumbing, the walls, the structure, you know, what all the pieces that make up the construction of it and, and what is the condition of it and what do we need to do to it to maintain it over time? There's the human experience. So how how does a user of that space, a consumer or a staff member, how does the environment support what they're trying to do? And then there's the capital constraints and timeline. So those are kind of the business end of it. But when do we need something by and, and how much money do we have to spend? And how does all of that really work together? 
And when it comes down to that business and the capital side of it, you know, we're trying to be good stewards of our clients' money. And a lot of times the funding for that is coming from the community. So when we think about what we're doing, it's not just about how we're benefiting our clients, but it's also about how we're benefiting our clients. How does that pass through? So if we're good stewards, that means that we're passing on hopefully cost savings to whether it's a patient or uh, taxpayers, um, government entities. So like in healthcare, it's Medicaid or Medicare, which are tax funded programs. But, you know, so we want people to understand that we're, we have, we're looking at it from the community's interest as well. And then I think probably since I'm an architect and I do have a focus on the facility side, I, I think that we're trying to make buildings better ultimately. We want to right size them, uh, which really just means that we don't want to overbuild and we don't want to underbuild. If we underbuild, that means we, we have to come back probably sooner rather than later for more capital to do things that we probably should have done earlier. And if, we, if we're not overbuilding, so um, if we're not building more square footage than we realistically need in the next five to 10 years, then that allows us to balance the budget better. So, and, and let us do other things with the building. So we can look at the environment of that building, so the environmental psychology, um, you know, how people experience it, the maintenance and operations of it. So there's that life cycle cost analysis that goes into, you know, the materials in the building, the equipment in the building, and it's an upfront cost cost versus this long-term cost. We want to look at that um, at a detailed level. So it allows us to make some better long-term decisions. Um, And then ultimately, it's the total project cost. Um, And I think it allows us to make a a harmonic facility solution. That is a lot, right? That is a lot of of planning, (laughs) right? I think uh, from from our viewer standpoint and probably from, from our client standpoint, a lot of that has uh, many systems of tools kind of involved in it. But I think it's uh, it's really interesting to, to kind of remember and to kind of point them back to the direction of what are we trying to accomplish? Mm-hmm. You mentioned some of those. The strategic planning part of it is certainly something that um, not only probably the health healthcare industry um, looks at from where they're going, but education uh, looks at that uh, as well. There's components of that always changing. There's always better uh, methodologies coming forward. So so really taking all of that and putting it into a strategic plan about where you're going mm-hmm. and, and then looking at your facilities as an architect and a planner is, is a powerful combination of, of some of those tools that we use along the way. I'll yeah. interrupt you really yeah, go quick. Ahead. Something you hit on is that it really there's this flux going on that, you know, things are always changing. And so a lot of people think of these plans that, you know, the planning effort is being producing a document that sits on a shelf. It's hard to execute. But I think a really good one is taking, it's an anticipating, you know, what else is going to happen? What are the changes? And trying to craft kind of avenues or branches that plan could go down if they happen. So it's it's not just one path, right? It's It's a main path with kind of branches that could go off into different directions depending on what happens in the future. Right. And I've I've gotten to know you a little bit over this last year too. And I I think being inquisitive about that, right? So a lot of folks might believe that the data is either telling us one way of doing Mm -hmm. something. Conversely, we're using the data to implement something uh, that, that we already decided. And that's not the case. And I know that you specifically are really inquisitive about uh, the information, because when we go through and look at a planning process, both of us, um, what we're trying to do is just discover the truth, discover the facts mm-hmm. surrounding any any what will eventually be some kind of physical solution. 
you know, depending on the industry, obviously that, that might look a little different, but from your vantage point, um, what are you looking at to try to understand, uh, discover those facts in a region or in a client? So really, I think we're looking at, you know, getting into the definition of planning. And I know when you and I first met, we were trying to understand what our own definitions of what we did was. Healthcare versus education. Healthcare versus education. And, and we were doing really the same things, but we had some different terminology between them. So, and since we do planning day in and day out, we probably take for granted the definition of planning. So I did a little homework. And according to Miriam Wester, the definition of planning is the act or process of making or carrying out plans or specifically the establishment of goals, policies, and procedures for a social or economic unit. Um, and so similar words here, and this is where I want to kind of hone in our preparations, organization, arrangement, forethought, design, devising, outlining, and deliberation. So all of these kind of have something in common. You know, it's taking information to inform something. And that's ultimately what we're doing. And so data is in everything we do. It's everywhere. It's just a matter of finding it and using it and, and applying it. But you have to have the science and methodology behind that. So we're looking at, you know, demographics of communities, how they purchase things, what is their education background, their financial status, right? So these are the things that make up um, who they are maybe cultural components, religious components, how do they make decisions? And so, you know, that's just one data piece on, on what, we're, what we're looking at. There's other data, too. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's, it's worthwhile to, to kind of mention, too, why are we looking at that? It's, it's, it's generally to understand where a place is and, and the people that are involved in that, in that area. Um, because, honestly, it, it's better served if we know that for the for the architectural build of whatever that facility might be. But you hit on a really good point about data because data, it sounds like something that we just go, go grab and we just mm-hmm. all understand it. Mm-hmm. But the honest answer is that there's a lot of data out there. There is. And bringing that raw data into the mix and just giving it to um, a stakeholder group or to a client is usually not the the best uh, idea just simply because they don't know how to, they potentially don't know how to use it. But I've found in, in talking with them and, and trying to teach them uh, how to use it effectively is, is maybe the right, maybe the right way to do it. But, you know, is that something that, that you see also? And, and maybe how have you taken that, taken that raw data, that, that big data in a lot of ways and, and really made that information uh, understandable uh, yeah. for folks. So I think, you know, when we're meeting with clients, everyone is pressed for time and everyone has a really short attention span. So you have to follow that that KISS model. It's the keep it simple. And you have to tell a story. The data has to tell a story. Um, so you need to know what is the key takeaway. I mean, that's the major thing. Um, but it's who and what does it impact it's why is it important, how do you know it's important, and what is the logic you use to arrive at that interpretation of the data, um, where does it matter, so is it location specific, and is there a time frame from, for when this data uh, is important. So I think all of those things kind of help help our clients really understand what it is that they're working with and and what they need to do with it, right? Because you can tell people facts. You can put, you know, charts and numbers up, but you really have to kind of connect the dots into what what does it mean down the road. 
for just an example, you have to put it into context, whether it's graphically or metaphorically. People can connect with graphics and they can connect with comparisons to things. You know, this is something I've encountered a lot in the work I do, but let's say I'm working with a healthcare client and they say, and maybe it's like a suburban, slightly rural area, and there's a new employer coming to town and they're bringing 4,000 jobs. To them, it seems like a really big number, right? And you think 4,000 new jobs, which they have like 2.64, you know, family members per per family. Um, so then all of a sudden that's 10,560 new people. And and we need, oh my gosh, we need to build this expansion to our hospital to, to support all these. But in reality, you start to overlay, you know, what's happening. And one, uh, that employer may be coming in, but those jobs are not necessarily all in new jobs. They may be people moving, but they may be filled by people who already live there. They may be virtual positions. And then not every person is going to have a family, right? Some, some are going to be individuals. And then how different age groups, those people who that make up those jobs, utilize services differently, which then overlays, you know, uh, younger generations don't use quite as much healthcare, like millennials. Um, they're not using as much healthcare as, say, older generations. So it starts to peel away, you know, these onion layers of what, what the true need is. Well, let me uh, stop you right there. Yeah. I th- I, that is a excellent example um, that that industry coming into a an area mm-hmm. um, for us for for k-12 specifically um, that happens a lot in the southeast and I think that's a that's a wonderful economic boon for a lot of the the areas in our that we serve for our clients um, but we we face the same thing yeah. um, you know bringing in so many jobs uh, so so much value into a community I often find it when it's housing starts, right? So housing Mm -hmm. starts, let's say you've got, you know, even as low as 200 new uh, housing starts in a rural community. That's a big deal. Mm -hmm. Even in a a suburban area, it might be a thousand. um, And you can actually see that construction happening. So people can feel that growth is happening. But in reality, if you do the if you do the math, mm-hmm. if you do the demographics um, back behind it, not every uh, one of those has a um, has two point five kids uh, coming coming out of it. Um, really, in reality, it, it results in a much smaller a much smaller enrollment impact. That's what we've found over the years. Um, so just that that little bit of understanding that growth doesn't necessarily mean that it's uncontrollable or unknowable for existing facilities, but just putting a definition on it, I think really, you know, sets the expectation yeah. a little bit clearer for a client. So that happens, I think, um, in just about all kind of institutional yeah. type of markets. But could you imagine if you didn't do the analysis behind that volume growth to, to justify the need? And, and let's say you had all those houses coming in or this new business coming in and you said, oh, we're going to build a new school here. I mean, that's that's hundreds of millions of dollars to right. do that, right? And then it pans out, you don't need all that space. So by doing the analysis, you can you can really save, you know, millions, tens of millions of dollars to 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 understand really what is the true need for the the community. That's right. And like, and as you said, right size it. Mm-hmm. And that's that's what it's all about because we are good stewards of especially taxpayer uh, funding is mm-hmm. is really making sure that we understand what that need is and define that using tools but 
but making sure that we use those tools effectively, especially when it comes to, to data, for sure. You know, you touched on a few of those um, things that you're that you're pulling from. I think demographics is kind of an easy, an easy one. There are lots of there's the census that happens every ten yep. years. There's uh, there's statewide data. There's birth and death rate data for for each um, area, each state. Um, what are some of the other things that you're pulling from to kind of understand um, that that community or that region? Yeah, so we definitely try and leverage available data from different sources with, you know, that's just readily available. You have to caution around some of that, though, because it may be volunteered information. It may not be complete. So you just have to keep that in mind. There's other sources out there for data, like Nielsen Claritas. I mean, tons of demographic and consumer information available, and that, that comes at a cost, of course. And then there's, you know, market-specific data. Healthcare has its own uh, for different types of service line growths and things like that. And then there's, you know, that's just on the market side, right? There's the facility data too, which um, sometimes our clients, if they're sophisticated, can collect that on their own. Uh, sometimes it's us coming in to collect that data. Um, and that's things like the the type of um, mechanical, mechanical, electrical, plumbing systems, the age of them, um, when they need to be replaced and how much that kind of stuff costs, utility information. And then I think there's, there's more data, right? So that's all the kind of the numbers data that you can, I feel like is more readily available. Then there's a subjective part of it too and the people side of it. So, you know, it's the market consumer information, but it's the real time. So it's talking to people who are are using these facilities and, and the communities. And what I think is kind of interesting there, you think about it, it's like doing a, a market assessment for a product, right? You bring, bring people in, you talk to them about how they make decisions about using that product, you know, what are the negative things about it? What is the labeling, the package, the brand? How does that all impact, you know, the decisions that they make? It's the same thing for, for what we're doing on facilities, the building and the experience, it's all a product, Right. I think that's a good, a good point is that planning often is uh, strategizing on communication too. Mm -hmm. You know, that, that what you just mentioned, market, market data means more like focus groups, Mm -hmm. right? So uh, sometimes it also means surveys. Surveys, yeah. Sometimes it means interviews. So Mm -hmm. it it may mean all of those things or one of those things in particular in the process. And, And sometimes we'll leverage, you know, like precedent or research studies. So when we look at, um, trying to accomplish something like trying to achieve outcomes. So we want to use evidence-based design. Uh, and there's different organizations that kind of leverage and pull all this information together. And you know what we're able to do there is you can prove something one way or another, but you have to align it with the organization's goals and priorities. What's the right decision? Right. You know, sometimes, uh, you know, with all of this information that we collect, we get to know our clients really, really well. Uh, from from that vantage point, when we get into design and when we get into actually master planning, I think that's when it comes to maybe some expected solutions, but also I've found sometimes, uh, a lot of the times, uh, more unexpected solutions. Um, do you have any examples of that? Yeah, so um, I could go on a happy side or a morose <laughs> side. Um, sometimes we're hired to be the bad guy, but I think I'm going to stick with one we we recently did. Um, so we did a study for a ed- education and training facility, and we were basically trying to uh, consolidate uh, into one location. And we had the this idea of what was going to be expected, how many training and education classrooms we we're going to need. You know, there's this expectation coming 
out of COVID that you can do so much virtually now. And so that that should have an impact on the space. And what we learned is it, we were kind of surprised at the outcome of the study. So we, we actually realized that we needed maybe more larger spaces for flexibility um, for different types of classes. Um, there is the virtual side of it, but there are some, some types of education that have to happen in person, right? If you're demonstrating skills um, for completion to move on to the next thing, it's, it's in person, right? You have to do that. Sometimes it's a hybrid, a hybrid class solution. And some people don't have access to computers and internet at home. So it's providing them the location to do that. Now, you don't need to put three of those people for one class in a classroom that holds 50 people, right? You can find a different solution for that. But I think at the end of the day, what we discovered is, you know, it's, it was a different amount of space. We needed more space than I think we anticipated. Now, that doesn't mean things could change in the future, right? So we can run models of how does going virtual on education change the space need? Or is there a point in the utilization of that space for in-person that might trigger them to need to go virtual? So instead of spending capital for more facility solutions, when can we start to work in more of a hybrid format? And layer in developmental into that as well. You know, a preschooler is not a 12th grader no. uh, and as far as uh, developmentally and being able to access information and really learn um, in that way. So virtual, what I found is that it's really hard to teach some of the core fundamentals. Mm-hmm. Um, but as, as they develop, as, as kids get older... Um, they're able to handle some of some of these things, uh, whether it be and not necessarily a relationship, but more of the transactional things about mm-hmm. uh, education, like listening to a lecture, for instance, yes. uh, virtually. But I would say, you know, it's not just it might be the base changes on the inside mm-hmm. rather than it creases. I've had that same right. comment um, before, but honestly, what it turns into is we need different types of spaces. Yeah. I think you and I know that because we're because of our office right mm-hmm. now. I mean, we're always yeah. looking for conference rooms, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that's that's what's happening across all of our different sectors, um, and certainly anything that we you know that we're doing in, in schools or, or healthcare. You know, one thing that we talk about in architecture is what is architecture? Is it just the building? Mm -hmm. Is it the building and the site? It's not everything, but it is a lot of things. And I think planning is, is definitely one of those things. Um, you've said before in the past, facilities aren't, aren't strategies. Completely agree, agree with that. It's not just building the building. you got to have a reason um, back yeah. behind it. Mm-hmm. But what do you see as the role of a planner in the building development process kind of overall? You think it's something that is really necessary for, for building that right kind of consensus in the community, for, for getting the, the right outcomes, uh, as you say, or, or, or how do you feel about that? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, a strategy is, you know, the tactics that you put into movement to a, to achieve an overall aim. Um, so a facility is part of a part of that. It is one tactic to do it. You know, I think people will build a new building and think people will come, right? Um, if you build a new hospital, we're going to have a surgeon utilization and all these people, but it's, it, there's a honeymoon effect to that, right? It, it tapers off after a while. So it's not a long-term play. I think that planners are crucial in the idea that we are setting an organization up for success for a very long period of time, right? We're evaluating a lot of things. It's not just 
about, um, you know, exactly how many of these rooms do you think you need and, um, you know, kind of this practice or, or loose perspective of how we arrange these spaces and things like that. I mean, we're, we're really putting science um, and evidence um, and data into informing the decisions. Right. Yeah. And, and really that all of that hits the street, right, when you put a value to it, uh, mm-hmm. a monetary value to it. And I think that's where, where we, we really could you know, provide a, a lot of good service for our clients and, and making sure that we right size it, as you say, make the right decisions in a community for what is needed. Um, but really looking at that funding process uh, kind of overall as part of the comprehensive approach rather than just something that we tack on uh, at the end of the planning process leading to the building process is something that we really should be exploring together. You know, we've, we've, we've created a lot of good tools uh, from a planning standpoint, uh, and, and those really do help us identify and, and process uh, the needs. But um, as you see it, you know, how are those funding decisions um, being made? That is really specific to a, a single market. I'll give you an example. For an educational market, often you're doing either tax, well, you're always doing taxpayer funding. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's either coming through uh, normal operating year-to-year taxes uh, or you're asking your electorate to come in and vote on a special purpose issue or a bond referendum of some sort uh, for, a, for a capital um, needs. And often what we have to do as a result of that is communicate a plan, mm-hmm. show that plan, uh, and validate the data behind it, validate the, the need uh, back behind it. Yeah. What are some of the things that you're looking at as you're trying to validate and explain that funding side of it? And it's really important today because funding is tied to yeah. what's going on in the economy. It ties it to, to everything else. Yeah. So if there's anything I, I took away from my, my high school uh, AP U.S. history classes, money makes the world go round. So right now, I think there's two things that really are, are coming down to helping make decisions and, and validate things. One is it is the money side. It's the funding. So um, making sure we have an implementable solution um, and a capital outlay for that. So uh, what what are we going to do project-wise? When? What is the scale of that and the scope of that? And then how does that inform the next project and the next project to essentially achieve an, an, an goal. That's one. And it involves all kinds of uh, funding sources, right? So you talked about taxpayers. There's also grants. There's insurance providers, government entities. There's philanthropy. So you're trying to weave in um, justifying a project to all of those different stakeholders for funding to make sure you you get their buy-in, right? That they, they trust you. They believe what you're doing is good. Um, and so the data does play into that. But you really have to show them that the, the capital is being spent well. The second thing I think is really coming down to decision making, and I think we're seeing more of this now, is this focus on doing what is right for the community. You know, it's the humanitarian side of the decision making, and it's and it's a big deal right now in, in healthcare, particularly. So, what's the right decision for the overall community? You know, we're trying to provide equity of investment into different parts of our community. Um, you know, in Charlotte, there's a an issue with economic mobility, um, and so you can start to really look at the data and understand where perhaps you need to to meet the community where they're at and provide different resources for them. So it's a balance between, you know, the dollars at the end of the day. We don't have we don't have unlimited funding, um, but we also have to do what is right. That's great. Yeah, you're you're right. Using all of those pieces together, you know, I 
I tend to always believe makes better decision-making at the end of the day. So stewardship is about Mm decision-making a lot of the time. So making sure that we uh, right-size it and and get it to the the community that it's meant to serve, I think is really, really key and critical. I know we're just scraping the surface, right? (laughs) I I love planning. You and I talked about we should probably not geek out on planning today, uh, although we could. I appreciate you kind of looking and talking a little bit about it overall, because I I know a lot of your clients, a lot of my clients ask these same types of questions. Mm -hmm. What is it and why is it so important? What do you see uh, as kind of the next step there? You know, Charlotte as a, as a, as a region of the Southeast, Mm -hmm. but you know, the South Carolina, North Carolina market overall, what are, what are we in the most need of? Yeah. So I think we're in the most need of collaboration. Um, honestly, I think it, we're getting more community focused and seeing how uh, different markets that that I'm working in are relating to one another. So, for example, healthcare is really focused on population health, and to do that, they really have to understand who is the population that they're serving and what is unique to them. Where do they where do they need to help fill in some gaps? And it's not about this reactionary kind of medicine; it's this preventive and wellness medicine. So, you know, they're looking at how do we provide care in the community. So leveraging community assets like schools or churches or community centers, government buildings in different ways than we have in the past, mobile solutions. So I think that's where we're really headed. And I think it's going to take a lot of um, collaboration, public health, universities, um, hospital systems, schools, governments to, to accomplish all of that. Oh, that's great. I mean, I think we're all in it together and, and it just makes our communities that we live and work in mm-hmm. richer and, and better quality of life. So mm-hmm. yeah, thanks for saying that. And thanks for joining us today. I think this has been a really eye-opening conversation, I hope, for some. And I'd love yes. to, to keep on going uh, and talk a, a lot more about planning in the future with you. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Menta. Thanks. Exciting show update here. You'll notice a new title moving forward. As our audience has grown, we'll now be known as the Future of Education podcast. We want to explore not just the K-12 experience, but a student's entire learning journey. Thanks for tuning in to Idea Exchange, the Future of K-12 Education series. 